Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you guys all here. That before uh, 10.30, it was very quiet. And I, Amy said to me, I think it's going to be really small today. And I said, I think so. But also, people like to arrive late. So, <laughs> so it's good to see everybody here. Um, I just want to give a preface before I start. This is more or less my first time preaching. So if I start to ramble, I give all of you permission to just give me the eyes that say, move on. <laughs> um, awesome. I'm just going to pray first as well. Um, just because, you know, I believe that this is a really actually important thing on a Sunday that someone gets up here and, and teaches the Word of God. And um, yeah, I just want to ask God that He would speak through me and use me as a vessel um, for Him. So, dear Father, would you, um, yeah, would you just uh, use me as a vessel to um, bring your Word this morning, God? Would your Holy Spirit be the one um, speaking through me, and yeah, God, would you just give me the guidance um, with what to say, and Lord, I, I just pray that this morning as a congregation, Lord, that you would, um, yeah, be speaking to us uh, about, you know, the things in our heart that you want to touch, and yeah, God, I just thank you for the opportunity to meet here today, and yeah, God, I pray for all those people who are at home, um, all those people who are dealing with sickness, um, God, I just pray that your, your healing touch would be with them, God, and um, yeah, I thank you for the opportunity to meet together and pray that you would be with us this morning. Amen. All right, so I'm Ethan, for those of you who haven't met me. Um, I'm married to Amy, who's down there. We, we haven't been married very long. It's been about two months now, and uh, it's good, yeah. Um, I want to start off by telling a story. Um, and I feel like this story that I tell will give a bit of context to uh, how I feel about uh, the message that I'm going to share. The, the theme that Benj gave me to preach on is uh, a unified story that leads to Jesus. Um, so I'm really going to be kind of, that's a large topic, <laughs> but I'm going to be trying to cover that and explain kind of, you know, the way that the Bible uh, has a massive vector line that just points right to Jesus. Um, but I'll start off with the story. So when I was a young kid, I don't know how old, just my childhood, let's say, I remember that I always used to be really confused by the saying, the Lion of Judah, right? And I feel like heaps of people would say, it comes up all the time. Um, but every time I heard it, I, I would think that people were saying the Lion of Judas. And so there were two things happening in my head. There was the first thought that was like, all right, Judas, pretty average guy, not sure why he's so important in this line of Judas and whatever that means relating to Jesus. So uh, that was the first thought that I was kind of like, doesn't really make sense. Second one was, um, you know, that the lion made me think of the passage in the Bible where it says that the devil is, you know, a lion who's roaming around like people to devour. So in my head as a kid, I'm going, Jesus is the lion of Judas. What the heck? What does that even mean? Why is this like, I was just confused by it. And it wasn't until I was older that I understood, okay, it's not Judas, it's Judah, and realized what that meant. And I think the thing that stands out to me is 
Uh, you know, I was a child, so you got to give me grace for being confused. But um, the, the thing that I was missing in that, when I didn't have the context of what, what it actually meant that Jesus is the Lion of Judah, is that I was confused, whereas this image of the Lion of Judah is, is powerful. It's a, a powerful image of Jesus that, um, you know, really shows us the character of who he is, and it's about prophecy, and, you know, there's so much in it that for me as a kid, it was straight over my head because I just didn't, didn't have the context for it, right? Um, and so I think that that gives a context for me for why I think it's so important that we understand that the story of Scripture on a whole is every single bit of it is gold, right? It's like a huge puzzle that every single piece just fits into place that when it's all together, it's this beautiful mosaic. But, you know, you take bits out here and there and it, it doesn't work. It's an incomplete picture. Um, so this morning, I'm going to dive in, um, and if you guys have a Bible or your phones or, you know, whatever you want to look at the Bible on, um, we're going to be looking at John 1, verse 1 to 3. So it's the start of uh, John's Gospel, and yeah, it kicks off pretty intense, in a good way. Um, I'll just read it now for you. John 1, verse 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Right now, it's a bit of a tongue twister, that passage. <laughs> There's a lot of the Word and things and made in Him, right? Um, but one thing that I just want to pull out of this passage and focus on is that portion that says the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And in the Greek, that, that, that portion, the Word, actually translates to the word logos, which I'm sure if you guys did high school English, you're familiar with that word. Um, it means just a word, a thought, principle, or some kind of speech, right? Um, but in this context where John's writing to them, he's saying, in the beginning was Logos, and the Word was with, well, Logos was with God. Um, to the Jewish readers, he's really pointing back to the Old Testament, and he's pointing back to how they know God acts, right? He's talking about the Word to them is the way in which God does things. It's the way um, in, in which his acting revelation is uh, seen to them, like the burning bush with Moses, right? The, the Word, um, where God talks to, to um, the Israelites. And to the Greek readers who have come from, you know, uh, the Gentile side of things, um, it's used in Greek philosophy, uh, philosophy uh, to refer to the mediation between God and humans, right? So, um, they use it to talk about the transcendent and earthly things and the connection between them. Um, there's a guy called Philo Judaeus, who's from Alexandria. He's a first century Jewish philosopher. Um, and so he taught that Logos was the intermediary between God and the cosmos, uh, being both the agent of creation, so the way in which uh, a godlike being creates, um, and also through which the human mind can apprehend and comprehend God, right? And so when we understand that, we read back into the verse and we're seeing, in the beginning was the way in which the human mind knows God, right? And 
Um, I think that knowing that that is the same way that, uh, you know, we see Jesus, that Jesus is our uh, mediation between us and God, right? And so immediately there's this connection between the Word, Jesus, and uh, what's in between our relationship with God and humanity. Um, and so, sorry, I'm just trying to, I lost where I was up to my notes. I'm trying to get back to it. <laughs> um, you know, implication now for our understanding is that when we hear the Word of God, right, we're, we're understanding both Scripture that we read, that we pick up and see in our Bibles, um, and also the, the person of Jesus, right? And they're both the Word of God to us, you know? And I think that part of that is that, you know, the Word of God is just colloquialism for the Bible, but also part of it is that Jesus and the Bible come as a, a package. You can't, you can't take Jesus out of the Bible, otherwise it's kind of worth nothing, and you also can't take the Bible away from Jesus, otherwise we don't know who he is. We've got no, no basis to understand his character and the person who he is, right? Um, I've got an analogy here. I don't know how many of you guys are fans of The Matrix, this greenhouse, so some people, I don't know. I got one. Woo. <laughs> That's good. Right, so bear with me if you've never seen it, but um, the main character, Neo, right, Thomas Anderson, he is the chosen one. In it. And so pretty much the entire story just depends on him. And uh, Amy's laughing at me because I'm being a geek. But, um, you know, if you take him out of the story, everything turns to crap. You know, uh, the, the Sentinels win, the robot machines end up taking over humanity, everyone's slaves. But without him, there's no, there's no redeeming, there's no redemptive qualities where, you know, he's the chosen one who fulfills the prophecy and, you know, like... I think a better analogy would just be using the Bible, but it's a little easier to understand when it's the matrix. Um, and so I think that's similar, that when we look at Scripture and we're working our way through it, we can often, and I know, like, I'm a culprit for this, you read the Old Testament and you go, what the heck is going on? Like, how, 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 are, how is this related to Jesus? What, what is happening here? Um, and, and I think that when we don't do some deep digging into that to understand what is God doing on the whole? Where, where is the trajectory of Christianity and the Israelites and um, the prophecy? Where is that all heading to? Then we kind of miss the picture. It just seems like a piece of random history. Um, and I do want to give credit to the fact that you know, the Bible is a very, very old ancient text, you know, one of the oldest ancient texts we have. And so there is room for nuance that, you know, uh, some people struggle to come to terms with some of the things in the Bible because they're so ancient that we just don't understand it in our modern context, you know. Um, and I think that we have to wrestle with those things that we have to be able to say, there are some things in the Bible that to us just don't really make that much sense. But also, if we believe that this is Holy Spirit inspired, then we can't throw the baby out with the bagwater. We gotta, we gotta do the wrestling to keep the good, and understand the things that maybe don't make as much sense to us. Um, so there's three things that I want to touch on for the way that we see Christ throughout Scripture, right? The way we see Jesus in the story along. Um, the first one is Christ patterned, right? Things can be Christ patterned, so we see in overarching theme where, where Christ is in the middle of it. 
The second one is Christ's promise, right? So prophecies or, you know, things of that nature where we see that Christ is promised as the coming Messiah. And the third one is Christ's present, right, where Christ is actually in amongst it and, you know, physically or spiritually, he is present right in that moment. So I've got three examples of all different ones. Right from the start, bang, in Genesis 3.15, right, just after the, the fall happens and Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and God's cursing the serpent, and he prophesies that there will be the redeeming offspring who will crush the head of the serpent, and his heel will be uh, bruised, or, you know, different translations that say different things. Um, but there's this prophesied that the offspring of Eve would come and be the redeeming nature that would crush the serpent, right? And so that's Christ promised, right? So right back at the start, uh, the, you know, there's been prophecy that Christ would be there. He would be the saviour and the redeeming one to come. The second is Christ's pattern, right? And we see this in the uh, start of Jesus' ministry when he first starts and he gets baptised by John the Baptist and... You know, immediately after his baptism, he gets tested by Satan in the wilderness. And this is very similar to Adam in the Garden of Eden, right? Where, you know, they start off, everything's good. It's like perfect. God's just created it. And then Satan comes and tests him, right? And Jesus, as we look at those two in parallel, Jesus is the, the perfected version, right? Jesus goes through the wilderness, goes through his temptation, and yet reverses the outcome of obedience to God, right, and perfects that. So that's Christ's pattern. That's the second one we see where there's the pattern of Jesus and, and the, the theme of Jesus woven in there. Um, the third one is Christ's present. Okay, so I, I love this passage, but in John 8, verse 56, um, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they're pretty much being like, who do you think you are? Like, you come in here saying you're God, like, you're a bit of a chump. And Jesus is like, I am the great I am, right? And, um, and they're all like, you know, super peed at that. They're like, pick up stones, they're ready to kill him. And, and, he, and he tells them, you know, Abraham rejoiced for the day that I would come, you know? And so that's Christ present where, where Jesus himself is saying, Actually, the great I am that's in Exodus where there's a burning bush and, you know, Moses is getting instruction from uh, God. Jesus says, that's me. I am who I am, right? And so that's Christ's present. And I think that when we read through these old bits of Scripture and, the, you know, especially the Old Testament, I feel like most of us are good with the New Testament. We read it and we go, yeah, Paul's pretty clear in what he's saying. With the Old Testament especially, those three things, Christ's pattern, Christ's present, and Christ's promised, are where we see, uh, you know, his trajectory through the story, where he features a little bit of foreshadowing. Right? Um, another one that, that's um, a huge one, uh, which is, you know, a pretty, I'd say, pretty important to how we understand uh, the cross and the crucifixion is... Genesis 22, right, where we see Abraham taking Isaac up onto the hill. And so Abraham, right, has his only son who's a miracle child, right? Sarah's super old. They pray to God, and they have their son. Um, and, and he's a miracle, right? So only son, born of a miracle. 
and also through whom he was prophesied to bless the nations, wasn't he? God, God said that to Abraham, that through your offspring, the nations will be blessed. And so we see these, you know, connections and parallels through there where, you know, it's the exact same as Jesus. It's that same as the, you know, incarnation. And yet God asked Abraham to offer his only son up as a sacrifice. And we kind of look at it and go, oh, that's not that nice, is it? Like, why, why is Isaac after that? Why is, you know, why is Abraham killing his own son? Why, why does he need to do that? And I think, like, you know, obviously that is something to question. We don't want to go, yeah, it's sweet, it's fine to kill your children. Like, that's not okay. But I think we need to take a step back and look at that story and go, cool. All right, so God has asked for this sacrifice. And it's, you know, Abraham has this chance to be obedient to God's will where, you know, his only son, who's born of a miracle, promised to bless the nations, God's asked him to be sacrificed. And so to Abraham, he's questioning, well, what about that, you know, what about the prophecy? What about what's going to happen through him? And, and he just has to trust God with that, right? And I think that's a very, very good example of Christ's patterned is where we see, you know, Jesus just submitting to the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane oh, I'm not going to attempt it. Um, where he says, you know, not your wills, but mine. I just have to trust that, you know, as painful as this is going to be, because Jesus knew, I'm, I'm going to submit to the Father's will because that is what is, you know, leading to the finish line. Um, so I think that's a, a, one of those things that's Christ's pattern that is actually super important to how we understand the gospel and how we understand Jesus and his character. Um, and so I think as well, like, some of these things can be challenging, like reading, you know, the entirety of Scripture, like we've done the Bible in a year, and like reading some parts of Scripture is actually really challenging, um, and it really stretches your understanding of what what's Jesus God with relationship, uh, what's Jesus and God's relationship together, right? And what does what does it mean for Jesus to be God? What does it mean for Jesus to be present, right? Um, and one example of that is in Jude where he says, "Now I want to remind you." although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, right? And that's like, makes you take a step back because you go, that's Christ present in the Old Testament, you know, saving the people out of Egypt, that, you know, that Jesus, that was him right there. Um, You know, and so that sometimes challenges our perception of him, but it really shapes the character that we start to understand of Jesus, because there's also in Corinthians where Paul says the rock that the Israelites drank from out in the, um, you know, when they were in 40 years in the wilderness, that rock that, that sustained them, that rock is Christ, you know, and so that it's, it's on the flip side, it's challenging, but it's also so encouraging that we see the Israelites were relying on the same Jesus that we do. It's the same Savior who's who's leading them through, right? And yeah, I think one of the huge things that we that we see throughout this when when we start to to read the whole of the Bible, especially you know in a go, which I love well, that everyone did that. Well, not everyone, but like the big group did that. Um, reading the Bible in a year, because it really did start to put in perspective, what is this all about? 
we know the New Testament's about Jesus. We know that the cross is about Jesus and, you know, he saved us then. But what is all of this other stuff that, like, is just way before? Hey, River. <laughs> um, and I think that it's really important for us to, to see that whole trajectory, to see that through the prophecy of the Old Testament and through, um, you know, the people who have gone before and the, the prophets and the judges and all of that, that all through there, there's this trajectory that just points slowly and steadily down to Jesus, right, to that one moment where everything changes. You know, the, the, the game is won, the devil's crushed, you crush the head of the serpent, right? Um, and I think that's really important to, to see that, that there is this huge build-up, this generational, over thousands of years, there's this build-up to this one moment where, where Jesus becomes the king, right? And yeah, and to, to me, that's awesome. I love, I love seeing that. I've got this quote by a guy called T.R. Glover. Um, and he says in his book that Jesus implies an unexpected God. And... I think that sums up a lot of how we see parts of Scripture that we don't understand, especially that, you know, just like the Israelites waited like thousands of years with this expectation of the Messiah, this expectation of the coming Messiah. They go, yeah, cool, he's going to ride in on like chariots and he's going to kill them all and we're going to be victorious and Jesus will rule the whole world. It's going to be great. Um, and I think sometimes we can read the Old Testament like that as well and, and have a different expectation of, of who God is and what he'll do and what we see him doing in the Old Testament when in reality, Jesus is a completely unexpected incarnation, right? No one expected, well, I assume no one expected uh, out of the Israelites that Jesus would come as a carpenter. Like he, he comes on a, a donkey, um, you know, he washes his disciples' feet. He's a servant. Um, and the way that he beats death is by dying, you know, by sacrificing himself. He beats death with death. Like, that's a massive power move. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that when we see that story, when we see that arc of, of Christ throughout Scripture, it all points to that moment where Jesus does sacrifice himself. Um, and that's... Uh, a really, really important thing for us to note as Christians as we, as we move past the point of the cross, right? We, we don't stop there. I think that's uh, something that we need to be important, that we don't get to the cross and go, sweet, cross is done, everything's sweet. I, you know, it's just smooth sailing from here. Like, it is. You beat death, but by the same token, we need to go, okay, cool, all right. Jesus died, he was resurrected, and the Holy Spirit's now come. What does that mean for us? What does that mean now as we read Scripture and we see commands and we see, you know, what God calls of us? What does that mean for how we go out now and be the body of Christ? Um, and I think one big thing that I feel quite passionately about is that if we don't understand the seriousness of, of you know, the, God's covenant with His people in the Old Testament, right, and in, throughout Scripture that it lessens the weight of Jesus' sacrifice. It lessens the weight of what we now get to experience through his um, crucifixion, you know. Um, I think that when you see uh, the price, you understand how much it was worth it and how blessed we are to receive that. Um, yeah. And I think it's really important as well that 
you know, if we want to know who Jesus is in his entirety, if we want to see every facet of his face, you know, I, I forget, it might have even been Benj, someone said this, but it stuck with me that, you know, that, uh, that it's like a multifaceted diamond, right? That when we, when we look at Scripture, um, we see different parts of Jesus, right? But you're not seeing all of them at once, right? You don't, you don't get, read one part of Romans and go, cool, I know exactly who Jesus is, right? When we, when we need to understand the whole of Scripture, right, and the entirety of the story, to understand who he is and what he's done and his character. Um, yeah, I think I'm more or less done with what I wanted to say. Um, I just think that's, I think that's the, the point to drive home is that um, we, I think we need, our attitude when we come to Scripture should be that we, that we look for Christ, that we look for what he's done and and how how God has written Scripture and inspired Scripture Scripture to show us that um, because the gospel is everything, right? That that finishing point where where Jesus comes to the cross and sacrifices himself for those who are putting him on there, right? He, he's doing it for those who are torturing him. Um, I think that is the most important peace in all the scripture, right, that, that Jesus went to the cross and, and was crucified to beat death, you know. Um, cool. All right. Well, my, uh, if, if I want you guys to take away anything from today, and I'm preaching to myself as well as saying I need to take away, um, to experience the whole of Jesus in our relationship with him, we need to experience the whole of scripture as well that we need to understand the whole story uh, to be understand the whole of Jesus.